going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Going the Distance podcast presented by ImmaculateSports.com. Twitter's at Immac Sports. Instagram is also at Immac Sports. TikTok, YouTube, at Immaculate Sports. It's episode 95. 95, almost there. Doing some baseball, mock trades, usual NBA stuff. College football news, finally. May not yeah. be good for some folks, but... We're going to break it all down. That's true. It's a big weekend in the UFC as well. I know Skyler's going to talk about that a little bit. But let me go ahead and just get right into it with the opener. And my opener has to be last night with the A's winning on 4th of July, plus the fireworks after the game. There hasn't been too many good moments for the A's this year, but last night was definitely a highlight when we won 5-1 to over the Toronto Blue Jays. Matt Chapman made his return to Oakland. He got a good ovation there. Ramon Laureano, Stephen Vogt, both hit home runs. Paul, or not Paul Blackburn, Cole Irvin dealt eight innings, one run against that very dangerous Blue Jays lineup. Biggest crowd of the season by a solid seven or eight K, so just over 24,000 there. And uh, 24,000 in the Coliseum feels like 40,000 with how loud the fans get. And the fireworks show is amazing. I do know after the game, somebody had shot or something like that. Mm-hmm. At the Coliseum. I don't really know too many of the details of that, but obviously got that's just big news. And uh, yeah, I got home safely, obviously, and that's where we are now. So uh, what do you got for your opener? Yeah, also a baseball game I went to over the weekend on Friday. White Sox Giants. White Sox win one to nothing. Alex Cobb, no hitter into the fifth inning, but they still lose. Uh, Larry Garcia had some some rough plays in the field, but ended up getting the uh, the game winning RBI hit. Also a fireworks show, not as good in Oakland. Uh, Oracle just gives me the creeps, man. I don't know what it is, but at least we saw the White Sox win. <laughs> there we go. There we go. On to the Immaculate Sports Player of the Week, and how can it not be? One of the greatest eaters of all time, Joey Chestnut, winning his fifteenth. I don't think consecutive, but 15th Nathan's hot dog eating contest that's always held on 4th of July. An American tradition, to say the least, for Joey Chestnut and him winning that. 63 hot dogs in 10 minutes and one chokehold. If you haven't seen that video of him (laughs) choking out that protester, and for a second it looked like he snapped that person's neck. I don't think he actually did because that probably would have been some bigger news. But Joey Chestnut. Greatest athlete of all time? I think so. At least American athlete. You know, no one, it sounds like a joke, but no one's more physically gifted than he is at their respected area of expertise. Yeah, (laughs) he's that guy, to say the least. And let's go ahead and get to episode 95. Means that we got to talk about our favorite number 95. Skeller, who is yours? We'll go with Jets D lineman Quinnen Williams for this one because this piece is important. If the Jets really want to, you know, start rolling with this current core, this was one of the first picks after the Jamal Adams trade. Uh, and he's an important dude. You know, when he's healthy, he's at an all, all not all star, sorry, Pro Bowl level. Six sacks last year from it, the interior is pretty good. And uh, I like, I like my man Quinnen. Yeah, and he finally got his braces off, I believe. So good for yeah. him there. Number 95, I've been waiting for this episode for a while because there's one basketball player that I know that 
that I know that wears this number, and that's none other. DeAndre Bembry. Then JTA Juan Toscano Anderson, former Warrior, current Laker, just signed there last week. So kind of pulls pulls a couple strings from the heart, but it is what it is there. He is gonna be making some more money over there in LA. So I'm happy for him. And Marquette alum, Mexican League MVP, NBA champion, Juan Toscano Anderson. Let's get to the team reports, Skyler. I know you'd like to talk about Quinn and Williams in that uh, number 95. Yeah. Anything with the Jets, though, besides Quinn wearing one, number 95? No, nothing with the Jets at all this week, which, again, you know, if you have no big news at this point in the year, it's probably a good thing. Yeah, because just about the only big news that we're seeing in the NFL right now is Deshaun Watson's latest rape case. So yeah. pretty good not being in the news there. For the Raiders, more of the same stuff. Nothing, really anything crazy. I know training camp's going to start up here in like 17, 18 days. So that should be pretty good. Getting back in the swing of things for football is always fun. And it means season's right around the corner, obviously. Let's go ahead and get to the spotlight. Skylar, tell me yeah. about UFC 276. And I don't know if you're going to talk about it, but I did see some chick break her arm. Uh. Did not see that. Maybe it was uh, earlier uh, prelims. I think it was one of the prelims. So Okay, I missed a couple of the prelims. But I'm pretty much just talking about the main cards here because it, this was a jam-packed card. They're saying the best of the year. You know, started off with Sugar Sean O'Malley. Um, gets the no contest because he pokes Pedro Munoz in the eye. Also kicked him in the balls. Uh, so i kind of surprised he didn't get a flag for that at all. But... It's going to be no contest. I assume they'll fight again pretty soon here. Uh, Brian Barbarena knocks out the veteran Robbie Lawler. End of the second round. Pretty good there. Then we have a a prospect, Alex Pereira, knocking out number four ranked Sean Strickland in the first round. Big surprise there. Alexander Volkanovsky. Big name. Big name. Yeah. Co-main event here. He's got the, uh, the belt for featherweight. He beat the crap out of Max Holloway, but Max Holloway survived for five rounds. If anyone saw that, Max Holloway had a nasty cut uh, above his eyebrow, like split completely open. And he just put yeah. some tape on it, went back in and fought three more rounds after that. So a baller. And then the main event, Israel Adesanya keeps the middleweight belt. Uh, Jared Cannonier took him to five round decision, but uh, Israel gets it done barely. Yeah, I think. Everybody always says Izzy's fights are super, super boring, and I completely agree with that. But he's got some of the best entrances in the game of fighting. He's so entertaining in that aspect of it. The last style bender kind of makes up for it. Yeah, sure. I didn't think it was boring. My friends did, but he did his job. You know, that's all you can ask from him. He didn't knock him out in the second round. Who cares? You know, he won the fight. As far as my spotlights, I'm going to be talking about a Tampa Bay Rays prospect prospect that is unranked right now, and that's Mason Montgomery, who's pitching for their high A affiliate, the Bowling Green Hot Rods. Mason got drafted last year in the sixth round with the 191st pick, obviously to the Rays out of Texas Tech, left-handed pitcher, and he has been going ham in high A this year. And I was completely shocked when I saw his stats and I looked on Tampa Bay's prospect rankings and he was nowhere to be found on that. But 
Let's go over those stats. That's 64 and two thirds innings pitched so far, 114 strikeouts in just 14 or 15 starts, a one nine five ERA. He's walking some guys, 26 guys, but it's nothing crazy because he's obviously striking out a ton of guys. Yeah, so my mic just died out of nowhere because that's how good Mason Montgomery's stats are. It just makes things die, <laughs> just like he's been doing to hitters all year long. But like I say, nearly 65 innings pitch, nearly 115 strikeouts, just under a two ERA and just 15 starts. This guy's carving for the Blue, not the Blue Jays, the Rays. And I expect next year or whenever they make this new pipeline list, sometimes they do it at the all-star break, sometimes they do it next year. I expect this guy to definitely be near that 100 spot or at least high up in the Tampa Bay Rays system. Let's go ahead and get to where's your head at now, where we're starting it off with player pitcher rookie of the week. I think there's going to be one name that takes player and rookie for me and Skyler, but a mm-hmm. uh, pitcher might be a little bit different. Who is your, we'll start with rookie of the week. Okay. Rookie of the week. I'm going to give it to Julio Rodriguez. Uh, I won't say the numbers yet. Because uh, he's my player of the week too, uh, but I'll shout out Christopher Morel too. Similar numbers, but he had 391, so pretty good week for for Christopher Morel too. Yeah, I, I'm also going with J Rod, but another guy I want to talk about too is Derek Hall, who just came up for the Phillies. He only has four hits, but three of those are home runs. I know one of them did come against a position player, but a home run's a home run. We're always going to look at that three in the home run spot the same way as. Christopher. Sorry, I might cut out again, but now I'm holding it in, in place. So that's not going to happen again, I hope. But three home runs is three home runs is the point I was trying to make. And Derek Hall is going to have that forever. So good for him. Yeah. On to pitcher of the week. Pitcher of the week. I'm going to go with Tristan McKenzie from Cleveland. Seven innings, shut out. One hit, seven Ks against the Yankees, the most powerful team in the league. So that is enough to get my spot here, pitcher of the week. I'm going with Justin Verlander for my pitcher of the week. He threw eight innings shutout against the Mets last week. Obviously, the Mets have been one of the great teams in the MLB so far this year. Slowed down a little bit recently, but they're getting Max Scherzer back tonight, so good for them there. Besides the point, though, Justin Verlander, future Hall of Famer, eight innings, two hits, only six Ks, one walk, no runs, obviously. In uh, the Astros sweep of the Mets last week is has played a big part in it. On to player of the week. It's all J-Rod t- today, baby. Yeah, Julio Rodriguez, 7 for 22, 318 average, four homers, eight RBIs, and he had a pretty crazy streak of extra base hits uh, in each at-bat there. You know, first Mariner since Ichiro to have back-to-back uh, rookie of the month, so looking awesome for J-Rod. Yeah, it's looking awesome for J-Rod. He's my player of the week as well. But I'm scared of J-Rod because this guy is 21, 22 years old. And we know he's going to be a Mariner for a long time. As And being an A's fan, obviously in the same division as J-Rod, when this guy's 25, 26, 27 years old, it is not going to be fun having to face this guy 100 times a year. So... There's that, but mm-hmm. let's talk about the trade deadline mock trades. Uh, we got eight guys. Skyler's going to be doing four of them. I'm going to be doing four of them. Starting off with probably the biggest name that in this trade deadline 
a little overrated going into the season, but he's made his name underrated now at this point. That's Wilson Contreras backstop for the Cubs. Going to be probably the biggest name switching teams here at the midsummer point. Yeah, I have Wilson Contreras going to the Astros here for their number one prospect, the right-handed pitcher, Hunter Brown. I know Corey Lee is the future at catcher here, but Contreras is going to be a rental. And it's really hard for uh, mid-season pickups to become a full-time catcher. So I think he could mostly be a DH and still be fine for them because maybe take over catcher 75% way through the season. Uh, But either way, the Astros are, you know, they're going all in again. They're looking like the best team in the American League other than the Yankees this year. And, uh, yeah, you, you got scared for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So they they got to get uh, get over the hump somehow here. Yeah, I do know that they got a DH that likes to play every single day, and that's yeah. Jordan. So maybe they got to move him to the outfield or do something there. But obviously a bat that the Astros have been linked to a lot in these past couple months is Wilson Contreras because of their need behind the plate because Maldonado fucking sucks. Yeah. Uh, let's get to Frankie Montas, which is my first player, obviously. And I have him going back to the Cardinals. The A's biggest need here is getting pitching in their their farm system. We know the A's farm system pretty much better than most of the nation. Uh, the and one thing I've seen is that we have no pitching. Our top three pitching prospects, Gunnar Hogland, Brian Cusick, and JT Jin, have barely pitched at all this year and when they have pitched it hasn't been good but the number one guy i have is getting back here is mason win a lot of people know the name now because then will be the show and his card and that but as far as this year in 300 363 obp and an 852 ops across a high a and double a this year 33 extra base hits in that he's not that big of a of a dude uh but 33 extra base hits got a lot of gap power is something big there and seven of those are triples also so a two-way player, if you didn't know that. I think I've told you. Yeah, he's Probably not going to be doing two-way anymore, though. Uh, yeah. 22 stolen bases, though, with that as well. Obviously, I said he's fast. He's got 65 run grade, 80 arm, 60 fielding. So he's, no, he's got a guy. He's a guy that could be a gold glover in the future, and he's only 20 years old with an MLB ETA of 2024. The second guy I have the A's game back in this is Tink Hentz. Now, 1.1. 1.31 ERA in single A right now for the Cardinals, whatever their team is in single A. 36 strikeouts in 20 and a two-thirds innings, 60-grade fastball, 60-grade curveball, and 55-grade slider. Uh, 19 years old, so he's super, super young, but uh, obviously he's got a big-time arm and a great curveball. That's what the biggest thing in his scouting report is. I think he's like around 11 in the Cardinals system as far as prospects, prospects go. And then the last guy... I have the A's getting here is the Cardinals 18th prospect. And that's Gordon Chris Schaefo, Grace Schaefo or something like that. It's a super Italian last name. I don't really know how to say it, uh, but 307 ERA and double A so far this year, 31 strikeouts and only six walks and 43 innings pitch. So he's, he's not a guy who's going to be walking a lot of the guys, 55 grade fastball, 50 grade curveball, 50 grade slider, 55 grade changeup and only 22 years old here. He also has an MLB ETA of 2024. So it is get some pitching. Cardinals definitely get some pitching back with Frankie Montas. And I won't be shocked to see if a, like a reliever or something like that goes back into this deal too. Together. Yeah. What about Martin Perez? So the Rangers say recently, they only want to move Martin Perez if they get a significant return. So I found a situation where they would get a significant return. The Mets. 
the Mets have a lot of injuries in the starting pitching. And if uh, they hit all-star weekend, you know, in the weeks following, I know the deadlines extended a little bit this year and they missed out on a couple guys and they know maybe DeGrom won't be coming back. Then this feels like a situation where they could offer their number six prospect, Matt Allen, also their top pitching prospect in the farm. I think that's the only situation they would offer something big like that. But uh, we know the Mets are, are looking for a ring right now. So it probably wouldn't bother them too bad. Yeah, it's an interesting package. I think it's probably something that could work. Uh, even I know the Groms just made a rehab start a couple of days ago and church is obviously back now, but I mean, those guys are so their health, especially the Grom is so volatile. Mm-hmm. So getting a guy that can, I mean, not replace the Grom, but be the guy yeah. that can give you good innings like Martin Perez and be a vet. It's definitely a, a good trade there. Next guy that I got though is Luis Castillo and I have him going to the Red Sox. I think the biggest need back for the Reds here is getting some outfield and some power. And so I have the main piece being back in that deal being Blaze Jordan. You know, this guy's got a ton of pop. It's in 301 with an 858 OPS in single A so far this year. Only eight homers, but he does have 60 grade power. And he's super, super young. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that the, the Reds aren't really scared of either. They traded for Chase Petty in the offseason in that uh, Sonny Gray deal. And he's only 19 years old. So a lot of room to develop and only in single A. So it's still quite a ways away. And then the other guy I have him getting back is left-handed pitcher Chris Murphy, who has a 2.58 ERA in double A so far this year. 91 strikeouts and 76 and two-thirds innings. He just got called up to triple A like last week. And so he's only made one start over there. But I believe he went six innings, three runs or something like that. So a solid start there. 55 grade fastball, 50 grade curveball, 50 grade slider, 55 grade changeup. So solid arsenal there is on the older side, 24 years old, but I believe he's then will be ready as soon as next year. On to the next guy, Tyler Maley, another starter from the Reds. Yeah, this is probably my biggest package here. Um, I have him going to the Dodgers. They're going to take on David Price's contract because uh, Maley, Molly, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I'll just call him Molly to get this rolling Uh, struggles these past couple weeks, even though he started off hot. So they have to take on the price contract. They also get Bruce Dar Gratterall, the Dodgers number four prospect, the outfielder, Andy Pajes, I believe is how you pronounce that spelled pages, believe it's Pajes and number seven prospect, right-handed pitcher, Landon Mack. Solid return. Yeah. Uh, next up, I have Andrew Benatendi. Uh, he's an interesting guy this year because he's uh, a rental, kind of, uh, unless you want to sign him in free agency this offseason. Doesn't hit for a ton of power, but his average has been through the roof, and he's been getting on base a ton. So I have the Rangers jumping uh, the signing offseason free agency period and just trading for him now and then trying to get him to resign just based off of what he's seen in this first or in those two, three months that they're going to have them for this year. Uh, the reason why I think the Rangers can do this though, is because they have a lot of depth and bats in their minor league system. I think that's something that the Royals are going to be looking for. So I had them trading uh, the main piece back. My bad guys. Third time already <laughs> the show. This is the first episode. This is a, that this has happened. So maybe I need to 
invest in a new mic here though. Uh, but the main guy I have going back in this Ben Attendee deal is Josh Smith, who just came up for the Rangers recently in the past couple of months. He's in 261 with a 707 OPS and 46 at bats with the Rangers so far this year. He's a guy where a lot of Rangers fans want to see him play, but they just don't have a spot for him. Uh, but this guy can hit. He's got 60 hit grade and 55 run as well. He's already 24, so he's obviously MLB ready. He's been playing in the bigs for about a month now at this point anyways. And then the other guy I have going back to the Royals is going to be Trevor Hover, who is only hitting 227, but has a 388 OBP and a 792 OPS in high A this year. He has eight homers and has walked 50 times in a uh, 250 plate appearances so far this year. So that's pretty damn good walk rate, 50 hit 50 power grades. And he's only 23 years old. So probably going to be one of the older prospects. Once he actually comes up probably at like the age of 25 or something like that, but a guy that gets on base. Uh, so maybe the A is trade for him because hmm. we like guys that get on base. Next up, Trey Mancini. This one was kind of interesting. We didn't know if the Orioles were going to trade him or not. Uh, but me and Skyler decided last night that it's probably going to end up happening. So we mm-hmm. let Skyler go ahead and make a mock trade for him here. Yeah, I have Mancini going with Jorge Lopez to Seattle for Abraham Toro and the number nine prospect, the left-handed pitcher, Adam Mako. So my uh, Mariners expert friend, Dilly, says Abraham Toro sucks. Seattle's had enough of them and they need another arm in the pen. So I feel like this kind of trade will help out both sides. Yeah, probably will. Jorge Lopez is a dog unless you need him to close out for your parlay. But <laughs> that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about mock trades. And my last mock trade is going to be Brandon Drury going to the Phillies. Another one of these Reds players who's going to get them a pretty good return and help them rehaul their minor league system here just this, this season alone. Uh, the main piece going back to the Reds in this deal is catcher Logan O'Hap. Who's hitting 273 and has a 912 OPS in double A so far. Has hit 14 homers, 50 hit grade, 50 power grade, 55 defense. So pretty solid all-around player. And he's only 22 years old. But a guy that I do like in this trade that I think they can get back is gonna be Griff McGarry. Uh 3.86 ERA in high A this year, 82 strikeouts and just 46 and two-thirds innings pitch, 65 grade fastball, and all of his other pitches are above average as well. He is 23 years old, so same thing as Hover, where he's going to come up probably at 25 years old. But this guy's got some game if he ends up uh, being decent. And even if you get it to the league at 25, if you're a stud, you're a stud. And the last guy I have getting the the Reds getting in this deal is going to be Mickey Moniak. Because why not? You know, that's all I got to say. Let's go ahead and send it to halftime. All right. So halftime. Start off with some big college football news here. Conference realignment. We know we've heard some rumblings of maybe Cincinnati, BYU going to Big 12. We know that's going to happen. But we got some big ones now. Some uh, Pac-12 members, USC and UCLA, are going to be going to the Big 12 for the 2024-5 season, I believe. I'm not uh, too sure. I think so. Either way, this is this is huge because obviously these schools have the academics to move, but I mean, you know, there there now we know there's a method to uh, Lincoln Riley's decision here. He knew 
something was up and it kind of looks like there's going to be three super conferences by the time we get to 2025, you know, SEC, Big 10, Big 12. Um, because now we also know two more teams from the pack. It's not just going to be the pack 10. If this goes in, it would be the pack eight because Washington and Oregon both applied for the big 10. And obviously those schools have the academics to do it too. So maybe we see uh, Boise, Utah state, Fresno coming back over to the pack. Uh, like we've been wanting for a couple of years now because they're better than Washington state and Oregon state. Um, but this is pretty nuts. You know, I see one thing in all of this together. Yeah. And I see, I see a dynasty in the PAC 12 right now. All these teams that you mentioned in that are leaving, I see one yeah. team that is sticking to their roots and that's Stanford dynasty sure. time. Or when they, everything. They, they could have easily gotten to the big 10 too. Yeah, probably. I'm I'm curious what what Stanford's idea of all this stuff is. Are they going to try to join the Ivy League? You know, <laughs> is, is that the plan? Uh, and try to do Ivy League West or create their own conference? It sounds like it's it not even it's not a it's not a group of five anymore. It's just a big three. Exactly. Yeah, you got to be you got to be in the three now at this point. But I think that uh, that's a good thing for college football watchers because I mean. Me and Skyler know it. We watch, or there's 64 games on every single weekend, damn near, and uh, about three of them end up being decent games. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're playing in these super conferences, you're not going to have these games where you have a one and eight team going up against 12 and 0 Alabama every single week. Yeah, you're going to have good teams going up against good teams more often, and that's exactly what college football wants. That's exactly not all the fans want, but most of them uh, that just want to watch a good game, and so. The old college football fans that are saying, oh, they're going to conference and stuff like that. Shut up. Just watch the game and be happy. You know? Yeah, I'm excited. Exactly. All right. We'll talk about some uh, NBA Summer League. They're having the uh, California Classic in San Francisco going on right now. And I guess, you know, some guys we got to take note of because they've been popping off. We'll start off with the Kings, Keon Ellis. A two-way contract signed after the draft uh, guard from Alabama. 17 points uh, for the Kings the other night. Uh, pretty good for them. Uh, obviously not their top score so far. Keegan Murray, who they drafted number four, had like 26 points the other night. Uh, but we'll keep an eye on this guy. The Lakers, Scotty Pippen Jr., yes, relation, has been putting on a show every night. You know, one game with 20 points. Last night had 15 points and three steals, eight assists. Pretty crazy. And the Warriors have had a couple guys. Um Lester Quiones. Quiones. There we go. Yeah. The other night, 19 points, three for six from uh from three. And uh Santos, the Brazilian guy, too, had uh had over 20 points on the first night. Key Santos, man. Yeah, so uh it's always fun to see some of the guys who either maybe won't get a shot or guys that have now earned their shot because of the summer league play. Uh in an hour from now, we're gonna see Chet Holmgren's debut. I'm excited for that. There we go. And so far, that's about it. We're not in Vegas yet for the big league, just a little little side tournament going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so far, it's been pretty fun. Yeah, it reminds me of these college tournaments because I know they're doing a Salt, Salt Lake City one right now, too. It's like yeah. some of the teams from over there. But uh, I don't know. It's cool to see. I like watching young guys play. Absolutely. And that's all I have for halftime. What up, guys? Welcome back. Uh, before we get into basketball talk, let me just go over what Max Scherzer is doing right now. His first start hmm. back, three innings, 
One hit, no runs, five strikeouts. It is against the Reds. So that's kind of interesting there. But he's getting out dueled by Nicola Dolo, who has seven Ks in three and two thirds right now. Holy shit. Yeah. So how about that? Good uh, for we'll Nick, see. man. We'll see how that goes in two hours once this is posted up, though. But second half is all about basketball. So last week, we had a question that was, do the Nets lose KD this offseason? If so, where to? And we both said that he's not leaving because Kyrie opted in at that point. And then two days later, Kevin Durant decides to request a trade and screw up our entire segment on our podcast. So now the question is, where does KD go? And what happens to him? And uh, what are like, I, I'm not going to make you do the whole return back from him, obviously. Yeah. And, yeah. oh, they got this 2025th first. But what is like the, the main pieces of the return and where, where is KD going? So I think he's not going to get traded before the start of the year. I feel like, first of all, he KD doesn't seem like a guy that would hold out. So maybe a deadline deal if they do suck. It's just the big problem right now is there's not really a, a, a partner they could trade with. They can't trade with Miami or Chicago or Phoenix right now because of Ben Simmons. The guys that would get in return, either – you know, at Aiton or a hero or a, a Adebayo, they, they're the same type of extension as Simmons and you can only have one per team. So you have to figure out Ben Simmons before any of that. And I just don't think it gets done in time. I think KD as weird as it sounds based off of where he tore his Achilles. Yeah. I think he's going to Toronto. I think that fan base is, or he's willing to forgive that fan base because he knows that if he goes there, he can get a ring because if they, they give up Scotty Barnes say that's probably the, the main piece back. And then they give up some other pieces as well. That's a damn good team. And I think Toronto has the money that they can actually go ahead and do that. Uh, we'll keep in spicy P Fred Van Fleet as the main two guys that they want to pair with KD. And from there, you got a championship contender again, even if KD ends up, I mean, it's not going to only stay one year in Paul Kawhi because he's got that four year commitment. But it's it's pretty interesting. And I think that I think I don't know if they're the betting favorite right now, but they are one of the top teams that's on that list with Kevin Durant. Okay. That's interesting. KD's partner in crime, Kyrie in Brooklyn. I mean, they didn't really do much in Brooklyn except for create havoc. Kyrie, he's probably leaving as well. I assume if once Kevin Durant leaves, he's not going to want to stay in Brooklyn and just be alone with Scotty Barnes. So where does Kyrie go and uh, what do they get back for him? I think it's similar here that it's, it's definitely not going to be the easiest uh, to try to move a guy like Kyrie. But I think the most possible is the Lakers deal, even though they said they hadn't gotten anywhere yet. I mean, there there's not a lot of places that will take this guy in. You know, I feel like, if LeBron is really the GM over there in LA, I feel like that's one of the other options. He's not going back to Boston. We know that. So, yeah. so Kyrie is uh, kind of shit out of luck here. If the Lakers don't want him. I think he's going to Lakers. I definitely think that that's, what's going to happen. The return is very interesting because the Lakers don't have anybody unless you're getting like Anthony Davis back, which I don't really think is a possibility mm-hmm. for a trade in Kyrie that makes this trade like worth it. And so I think it's going to end up having to be a three team deal where some team requires Westbrook 
And then the Nets get the the young players back from that third team who's in it. I'm not sure who would actually take on Russell Westbrook right now, considering his his most recent year of play. But whenever LeBron wants something to happen, it's going to end up happening. So Kyrie's going to the Lakers. <laughs> Next up, a move that has already happened, so not – a ton of speculation here, except for where they might fall in the Western Conference. Rudy Gilbert went to the Timberwolves over this past week for pretty much the entire Timberwolves bench. Patrick Beverly, Malik Beasley, Vanderbilt, uh, another player in that trade. And then they got four first-round picks as well. It seems like a lot just for Rudy Gilbert. Uh, but how much does this this stifle tower help out the, the Timberwolves? I think short-term, it will be great. Cat will be fine at the four, but this is going to be a long-term disaster. This team right now is built for the regular season. Uh, Rudy's already started the decline. And uh, don't be surprised if, you know, they, they get like the three or four seed or something in the West, but it's not going much further than one more year. I think this has, uh, there's two ways that this plays out. This either doesn't play out well at all, has pretty much how everything plays out in Minnesota or it plays out, extremely well and Anthony Edwards turns into that MVP type player that was expected mm. out of him when he first came out of college. Obviously we've seen flashes of it. He's a great scorer, uh, became more efficient in the field in his second year. Cause I know he was sh- just shooting the ball a ton in that first year, but if he becomes a, a scorer of 27, 28 points per game and you got cat who's able to score a solid 20 points per game too. I know Rudy's not going to give you a ton of offensive production, but he's probably going to get 15, 15, night in night out and then you got D'Lo as well who's going to end up being probably a high teen score in that team as well it just all depends on how good Anthony Edwards is I think and I think he's going to end up being pretty damn good so I could see this team probably being a three seed in, in the west yeah but not really turning out into much unless Ant goes MJ mode in the playoffs Unfortunate news for one NBA free agent. Uh, I really don't care about him now at this point. That's Miles Bridges, who Mm -hmm. was arrested on domestic violence charges just last week. Uh, This question is kind of weird because we're obviously not lawyers. And we've seen some shaky things done before. But is Miles Bridges done? Is he he done with basketball? He's done some questionably things before. He can rap, so he's got that going on for him. So maybe he's not done financially is he done playing in the national basketball association? I love my bridges to Detroit pick even more now. <laughs> it's very funny. You know, I, I don't think he's done unless we find out that he actually did all this shit. And if he did, then he did. like I, it's, it's his, it's his wife that this is for. He definitely did. But like you said, I'm not a lawyer. That's so I'm going to wait. But if it is true, which it probably will be based on what we've heard, then yeah, fuck him. Hire the Kardashians, man. Yeah. So yeah, no. Uh, I I think there's a good chance that Miles Bridges is done playing in the NBA. There's not a lot of guys in the NBA that have these domestic violence charges, yeah. but when we've seen it in the NFL, it's taken out a lot of guys' careers. Uh, we don't see a lot in the MLB either, but we did see it with Marcelo Zuna last year, back. and he's back playing. However, baseball's attention is like attention span is super super short for some reason. I think the NBA is definitely going to be something that sticks more to this and kind of lays down the law that, Hey, this obviously isn't something that you should do. We need to set a super harsh punishment for that. And I think it could end up being like a five-year ban or something like that. 
Uh, and then from there, kind of just screw them over. But Beasley got uh, got a couple year ban for something similar, right? I'm not too familiar with that that situation, but it seemed reasonable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So because he, he came hope, back after a couple years, and yeah, I hope Miles Bridges is done though. Yeah. There was a couple moves made by the Eastern Conference uh, champions, the Celtics, over this past week, though, that have turned some heads as well. It's Gallinari signing over there, I think it was, after his release from the Spurs in that uh, DeJounte Murray trade, which was also a big deal. We should probably talk about that a little bit, too, here afterwards. And then uh, Malcolm Brogdon got traded to the Celtics for a bag of chips. So... Are the Celtics a super team? Like they got they got the top of the line stars of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They got the defense, obviously, with Robert Williams and Marcus Smart. And they got the role players. They got the big time role players that you don't really see too often in teams with Malcolm Brogdon, Gallinari, Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, all these guys, Al Horford that can play for them. Well, first of all, it depends what flavor chips they did give up. Uh, before I make my final decision. But as of right now, yeah, they're pretty much a super team. You know, Brogdon and, Gal- Bra- Brogdon and Gallinari are huge pickups, kind of under the radar because of all this Nets drama. And what I noticed was Boston's biggest problem against the Warriors was they had no shot creation outside of Jalen Brown in that series. So here's two more guys who could do it. Scary. There we go. My mic died again. Uh, Skyler, what was the gist you're saying? I know you said that they are a super team. Oh yeah. So, your... uh, the biggest problem, uh, against the warriors was their shot creation outside of Jalen Brown. So here's two guys who are pretty good at that. There we go. Yeah. I, I was saying, uh, when we were in the finals that the Celtics biggest need going into the off season is depth because they were playing practically a six man rotation, half the series. And I think if they didn't have to play those rotations earlier into the season, that that would end up being fine because you were able to have those guys, but Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown were just out of steam at out of fuel at the game six of that series. So Brogdon Gallo obviously had a whole bunch, a whole other dimension to the Celtics team as far as depth goes. And it probably rivals anybody as far as the best depth out of any team in the NBA. So I'm going to go ahead and say, yes, I don't know if this directly relates to a championship, but the Celtics got a squad. That's to say the least. Let's go ahead and get to our bets and let's get on out of here. We had a rough one last week, uh, but I hit my lamp. Yeah. I had the Yankees over the A's on Wednesday. That was Cole Orvin's start. Judge hit a homer. Stanton hit a homer. And that's all the Yankees needed to get the win over the A's on that day. Skyler had Minnesota over Baltimore on uh, Sunday. That was the one game that Baltimore did win out of that series. So unfortunately, Skyler didn't get that one. This week, I have Milwaukee over Chicago Cubs on Wednesday. That is a Corbin Burns start. So I'm picking the Brewers to win at home against uh, one of their rivals. All right. I'm picking the Astros to win at home against Kansas City on Wednesday also. That's Christian Javier, Mr. No-No, against Brad Keller, who I've seen get hit a couple times pretty hard this year already. So going with Houston. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Just came back down five runs yesterday. Uh, as far as our bold predictions, though, I had the Cardinals sweeping the Phillies. That did not happen. Uh, and then Skyler had San Diego win a series at L.A. That also did not happen. They did win one, though, so good on the Padres. That was their first win in L.A. in over 400 days. 
Uh, this week, though, I have Boston taking three out of four versus the Yankees in Boston. Yankees got all their guys starting this weekend, but I think the one team that can get to Garrett Cole besides the Houston Astros has got to be the Red Sox, and they always play good against the Yanks. And so I got Boston taking three out of four. All right. I got the Brewers sweeping Pittsburgh in three game series this weekend. Uh, seems kind of obvious, but big reason for me, Aaron Ashby's back from the IL starting on Friday. They got Woodruff and Lauer too. That's three of their top, top four pitchers and it's Milwaukee. So your number four is going to be better than most people's number two. Yeah. They, they got a lot of starters. Yeah, that's for sure. But that's going to do it for episode 95. Sorry about my mic. It just is what it is, I guess. Uh, and I'll charge it next week to be ready for episode 96. <laughs> Hopefully we have some more, some more basketball moves. Maybe we have a trade deadline move that has already been made besides Jonathan VR going over to the angels. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe some football news. We'll see how that goes. And uh, find out if Watson's going to play. Yeah. I don't think that's happening next week though. <laughs> we probably still got a while for that. Uh-huh. Anyways, we'll see you next time. Go Glaze. Yeah, go trade deadline. Oh, yeah, go trade deadline.